You're listening to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mondana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. My husband, Ian, is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am quite the newbie. Each week, he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin or Bitcoin adoption. I promise we keep it real light and fun. But before we get started, make sure you go to goals.flirtingwithbitcoin.com and stack your sats for the week. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola. Konnichiwa. Buongiorno. Guten Tag. Howdy. Howdy is here to say, if there's any other openers y'all want, let us know. I got the time. They don't pay me by the minute. They don't pay me at all. So I'm here. Look, we go off the metrics. We added the howdy for, for fan service. <laughs> is that what it's called? Fan service? Yeah. Like when you make a movie that is solely for the fans, have been around for a while, oh, it's yeah. called fan service. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess we, we're not doing this for our health, but we kind of are, right? I enjoy it. I love it. I'm having so much fun. It is nice to make our listeners smile. So, uh, But before we begin, babe, what time is it? <laughs> we're going to stick with that. Yeah, I like it. Oh. You want block height to be time, a measure of time, right? Sure. So let's I, use I, that no, vernacular. I, I like it. What um, time is it? So do I say the time is or do I say the block height is? It's like Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm going to let you decide. You're the Bitcoiner. Do okay. any Bitcoiners talk about time this way? I've seen people like put the block height at the bottom of tweets and stuff. So it's kind of happening. But maybe we're trailblazers. Maybe. You don't know you're a trailblazer until the future. Well, let's go back to the future, babe. What time is it? The current time <laughs> on Bitcoin Island is 757269. And we are 327 blocks since our last recording. And how many acres could I get for one US dollar on sunny Bitcoin Island? At this moment, you can get 4,986 acres on sunny Bitcoin Island for $1. Such a steal. All right, so no one's ever corrected me on this show. I feel like I've only gotten praise, but you've been getting a lot of corrections lately. What do you mean a lot? A handful. More than me, by comparison. Yes, I have gotten more corrections <laughs> than you, considering that I'm the, air quotes, subject matter expert. True, true, true. I'm no the expert at not knowing Bitcoin. No so one's going to correct your welcome. opinion. I would say maybe on all the Bitcoin podcasts that exist, I know the least. That's not true. That's not true? That's Damn, not true. Ian's coming for someone, but I don't know who. There's a lot of people that talk that literally just have never read a book. Uh, I believe that. I'm one of those people. <laughs> not a Bitcoin book, anyways. I want to give a shout out to one of our fountainheads, uh, Southside, who actually corrected me twice on our episode 28, uh, The Miseducation of Bitcoin, which is ironic that that's the one that I got corrected on. Ian is out here spreading lies. And finally, someone is putting him in his place. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a menace to society. But no, he left two comments that I want to correct the record on because he was, or she, I believe he, was correct. The first one is that Saifedean, you know, I talk about Saifedean a lot. He wrote the Bitcoin standard and I talk about giving it away as a good um, Bitcoin primer for people. He does not have a PhD in economics. He has a PhD in sustainable development from Columbia University. And then the second one was that, which this was just lack of understanding on my part. But in that episode, we talked about the, uh, there was like a course that was going on in El Salvador where people could like get a Bitcoin degree. But the, the course, it was held in El Salvador, but it was actually started by an American. 
and the course is taught by local Salvadorian Bitcoiners and your graduation is you like travel the world to all these places that are becoming Bitcoin places and meet other Bitcoiners. So I guess over time, you'll have to make more trips because there's more like Bitcoin beaches popping up and all this stuff. That's really cool. But um, no, I, I still think it's cool. I'm still like advocating yeah. for it. So those are two corrections that he called me out on literally this morning. But I want to say to all the listeners, like if I get something wrong, please correct me. And the way that uh, Southside did by starting off with false period, like <laughs> that was beautiful. I, I got, I've been chuckling about that all day. So thank you very much. Yeah, keep us in check. Or just Ian. I don't know if my heart can handle criticism. She can't. <laughs> so another correction was from our fountainhead, Satoshi Mike. It's not necessarily a correction, but I'm putting it in this category. He, he mentioned that Cash App does Bitcoin roundups. Um, that's not the same as what Strike does, which is converting your dollars on the fly mm -hmm. to Bitcoin and then completing a lightning transaction. But it's better than nothing. Yeah, it um, keeps... And it's a pot growing. Yeah, and it's an interesting way to like save some Bitcoin, you know, save Bitcoin over time because Cash App gives you a debit card. So if you're out in the world just spending your Cash App balance, you can do Roundup. And then the last correction was from a fountainhead who had like, you know, the, the default username. So I don't really know who you are. They said that Argentina has an amazing credit card with Bitcoin cashback called Lemon Card, which that's not the card that we were talking about in, in, um, in Brazil on that episode, but I just wanted to call that out. Like if you're in Argentina and you don't know about Lemon Card, like check it out. It's got Bitcoin cash back and it's a really easy way to just kind of live a normal life and start acquiring Bitcoin. Yeah. And I mean, obviously I don't want people coming for me if I say something incorrect, but if you guys have insights on the experience of having Bitcoin or using Bitcoin around the world anywhere. I think that's really interesting information, particularly because I'm most interested in Bitcoin adoption. So yeah, like tell us how it's going where you live and teach us some stuff. Um, there's always so much to learn. And I, I know Ian can't know everything as much as he wants to. It's just not possible. I've accepted that I don't know everything. And over a long enough period of time, there's just going to be too many Bitcoin things happening where you just can't know it, that it's all going on. Well, that's the hope, right? Bitcoin adoption will be so strong and continually expanding that we're only going to have to hit the major points. What I was getting at there was adoption's great. And the more adoption there is, the harder it'll be to keep up with it. But this is why we love Fountain because we couldn't actually interact with our listeners on these other platforms to learn these things. Like Southside would not have been able to correct me on Spotify. <laughs> so if you're listening to us on something like Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts or whatever you're using that's not Fountain, this is why we encourage people to listen to us on Fountain. You don't have to support the podcast with Bitcoin or anything like that, but it enables us to exchange information. Manda and I tend to respond to most comments that are left, although there seems to be something weird with the latest update where I can't reply to people if you don't actually leave any text in your boost. But this is why we advocate for Fountain. This is why I'm trying to make Fountainheads happen because I truly feel like Fountain is going to be the platform that like we grow this podcast on and I don't see a future for us on those other platforms. And you earn sats if you listen to a podcast on there. So that's all always fun. I've started, like, I've migrated from what I used to use to listen to podcasts. I've been listening to other podcasts on Fountain. And yeah, making money. It's nice. Yeah. If you were going to listen, you may as well get some money for it. Yep. So yeah, like, again, just plug in Fountain because it's, it's new, but it's... Uh, 
It's got a lot of potential. It's fun. It's fun. So as you know, we're trying something new. This is our second episode of the Weekly News Roundup. This is where Ian just shares with me what's going on in the Bitcoin world. And the spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We're going to start with the good news, uh, the sugar, and slowly descend into the chaos of whatever might be happening this week. Let's go, babe. Give me something sweet. What's going on? The first story is actually a story that's been going on for a while. I haven't talked about it on the podcast with you. I haven't really mentioned it to you because it's kind of hard to explain. I'm going to try to explain it, but... um, What a setup, babe. (laughs) Well, as I always say, you're not on Bitcoin Twitter. And so every once in a while on Bitcoin Twitter, some cultural phenomenon just kind of takes hold, right? There's this uh, cultural phenomenon, movement, whatever you want to call it, called Stack Chain. And that's been going on basically since the summer. Bitcoiners have started buying Bitcoin in increasing increments and then posting screenshots of these purchases on Twitter. There's a group of people, it's not like automated, there's a group of people that like collect these screenshots and are building a like stack of people buying Bitcoin. So it started with this one guy buying $5 worth of Bitcoin. And I forget the phrase that he used, it's not really important. It was a random picture that most people would have just scrolled past and that would have been it. But someone responded to that tweet and said, okay, I'll buy $6. And then someone responded to that and said, okay, I'll buy seven. And that's been going on all summer <laughs> up until this week. It's still going on. And the most recent purchase was in the, was like $2,000 or $2,100. So what you're saying is like one person buys five, one person buys six. Now one person bought 2000 dollars in bitcoin the next person bought two thousand and one dollars exactly and it's like a chain like a twitter thread it's not an official twitter thread right because the the pictures the tweets that are getting posted saying you know i bought my amount you just put the hashtag of stack chain mm-hmm. and like i said these are manual people are manually like collecting these tweets and figuring out the tip of the chain of what's the next amount to buy. But when the numbers started getting really large and people were like, I can't buy $500 to keep this thing going, people started like pooling their resources together, kind of like a mining pool, Mm -hmm. right? Well, if five of us buy $100, that's the $500 buy, right? And so that became what's called stack join. So you would post your buy of $100 and then you would have the hashtag of stack join and then This manual process of people was figuring out, okay, we'll lump these together. That's the $500 buy. It's very interesting and way more complicated than that. But to me, it's just like, this kind of shows what the Bitcoin community is about. It's about like, we're all in this together. This has all been happening as the price of Bitcoin has been going down since the summer, right? We peaked in, what was it, June at like 70? And we've just slowly been descending to 20K today. But in in the interim, people created this new phenomenon of stack chain. Is this to encourage Bitcoin buying? I don't know if there's a specific reason why this is happening. Well, let me rephrase that question. Do you like this or does this like make you giddy because you think it's encouraging Bitcoin buying? Or is it like the camaraderie of being in 
to Bitcoin and just having a fun thing to do? Like, why do you like it so much? Like, you're smiling a lot as you're talking about this. I like it because it's one of the most powerful, like, anti-FUD tools that exists. A couple episodes ago, we talked about, actually, in the last weekend roundup, we talked about how, you know, when a news story comes out that has the word bankruptcy next to the word Bitcoin, doesn't matter if it was, like, related to Bitcoin. It just kind of percolates as, oh, Bitcoin's bad and is causing bankruptcies. Because there's no purpose behind it, it's just a bunch of people that are having fun and doing a thing together that's Bitcoin related. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to point at that group of people and call them, oh, I don't know, they've been called psychopaths this year. Mm -hmm. They've been called uh, antisocial. Like, there's a lot of negative things that have been said about Bitcoiners. This is just like a, a playful, humane counter to all of that FUD. And at the same time, that's less Bitcoin for everyone else that's saying all that FUD. (laughs) I think it's interesting, though, because when I think of crypto and Bitcoiners, I just think of people who are rich. But that's not really the case, right? There's a lot of people who do not have a lot of money and they put aside what little they have towards Bitcoin because they really believe in it. And so when you say there are people who can't buy $500 in Bitcoin, they have to pull their money together. I think that's really interesting because it means that a lot of these people who are very passionate about it or in the Bitcoin community, they're not necessarily rolling in it. I would argue that most people in the Bitcoin community are not rolling in it. A lot of people in the Bitcoin community specifically, I'm probably biased just in who I tend to follow and what type of posts I like on Twitter kind of influences what I see. A lot of people in the Bitcoin Twitter community, from my observation, are people that are basically playing the waiting game like us. Like, yeah, it's not a lot today, but when you all figure out that you need this thing, you're going to push it up. And when that happens, I'm already going to be set because let's just say you have a million Satoshis. Doesn't That's not a lot comparatively in today's terms. But if Satoshi's ever become worth a dollar, that's a million dollars. And there's a lot of people out there projecting that there could become dollar to Satoshi parity within our lifetimes. You could get a million Satoshi's today for not a lot of money. And I assume that the person that was originally starting with $5 believed that. That even a $5 purchase is worth me tweeting about. The tweet was like a throwaway tweet. I don't think this person was... Trying to start a movement. Not trying to start a movement. (laughs) And was definitely not like, it wasn't even a braggadocious tweet. Like actually, he's actually saying that I'm broke when he's buying this $5 purchase of Bitcoin. Like I got the quote up, right? He's like, even on days when I'm broke as hell, I still stack. Feel free to join me. And he posts a picture of a $5 buy. And that one picture has caused, I don't know how many people have been involved in this, but people have purchased approximately 7.5 billion Satoshis after That Mm -hmm. screenshot, which today is worth like $1.5 million. So all of those people, like I said on the last episode, if Bitcoin does what we think Bitcoin's going to do, all the people that are participating in this stack chain, particularly in this exact moment of time in the world, right? The fall of 2022. No pun intended, right? (laughs) Exactly, right? If Bitcoin does what Bitcoin's, what we think Bitcoin's going to do, This will really pay off. This is going to pay off. And you could look at it on an individual level, or you'll just be able to reference the stack chain itself and say, the stack chain is now worth. Has made made this much money. Exactly. And like, we don't know the people that participated in this, if they hold a lot of Bitcoin already, if they're buying every day like you do or we do, or if they're just doing it once in a while. So 
this is also encouraging people in that moment to buy just to be a part of something. Yeah. Maybe they otherwise weren't going to. Yeah, but I mean, like the guy that started this, he's he's a known entity in Bitcoin Twitter. Like I, I saw I saw the tweet. I probably even liked the tweet, mm-hmm. you know, didn't know it was going to start stack chain. Right. You could have been the six dollar buy, babe. I could have. I think I actually I think the screenshot I posted when I tried to I tried to get in on it and it was like at 20 or 30 dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was like, oh, gee, but I didn't do it right Aww. or something. So whatever. It doesn't matter. Story of Ian's life. It literally is the story <laughs> of my life. Yeah. You know what? We're doing our part. I think it's really interesting. Like this is one of the movements. I think the other piece of it is our podcast where you do encourage people to buy regularly, set it and forget it. And then there's our Satoshi savings calculator where you encourage people to have a fixed strategy and a goal before the next having. And so I think there are all these different ways and depending on how your brain works and your relationship with money and your discipline when it comes to savings, how often you'll buy. And so every uh, everyone's playing their role when it comes to encouraging people to hold Bitcoin and buy Bitcoin, but also to get the dollars out of the circulation, right? And to buy Bitcoin. Yeah. So this is a part of all of that. Is that Does that sum it up right? Is that why you were so excited that you wanted to talk about this? That is not specifically why I wanted to talk about this, but yeah, it falls into the category yeah, of, yeah. of why I think this is just... Anytime someone says things that like Bitcoiners are crazy people, I'm like, nope. They're good people. And there's actually a corollary to this in my life that I realized when I was like putting the stories together, you know? So back in the day, people that are listening, you might recall, I mean, it's still happening, but you know, there was the big narrative that like video gamers are bad people, Mm -hmm. right? Video gamers are psychopaths. Video gamers are playing these games where they're killing a bunch of people. It causes violence. Right, right, right. And so back in the day, I used to read this um, webcomic called Penny Arcade. I forget what triggered it, but someone made a comment on the news about people who played video games and these guys just went off. And they started a fundraiser. And I think they raised like 100000 or $400,000 for this hospital in their city. They took all this money and they bought video games. And they gave them to these kids in this hospital. It was like a children's hospital. Probably like they had leukemia or something. Yeah. I forget the story. Well, that just kept growing and growing and growing. So like year one, they raised a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Year two, they raised more money. Year three, they raise more money. I think they still do it to this it's day. It's just dispelling this myth or narrative that these are bad people. And yeah, and so like, I just remember watching that happen. Like that's that was very vivid to me. And I, I like, I, I donated to it and I never went to any of their like events that they did for it. But like I donated to it every year or maybe every other year when I remembered. Um, but it's their thing they do around Christmas. So it's also like these kids are in the hospital and they don't have any presents. Mm -hmm. And so these guys show up with video games to a children's hospital. And And it's like 10 years later, they all became criminals. (laughs) Probably not, though, right? I, I, we, I don't know. They, they haven't done the where are they now. Maybe I'm, they have. I don't, I'm, I'm I don't follow. I'm pretty sure they're fine. I don't follow Penny Arcade guys anymore. I kind of grew out of that. But I remember that and I remember pointing to it. And I remember a lot of things they were saying when they were like, we raised a bunch of money mm-hmm. for kids in a hospital. Hey, people on the news that haven't, that are saying that gamers are bad. What have you done? Mm-hmm. You're just saying we're bad people but you didn't raise money for kids in a hospital. Yeah, and where we are today, we just know how many people in the population play video games. That's not... Yeah. There's no correlation. So today it's Bitcoin, and I think StackChain is that same like Penny Arcade vibe. And I just made that connection like 
today. It's just a bunch of Bitcoiners being cuties. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you know I love cute Bitcoiners. All right, give me more sugar, baby. So this one's definitely sugar. Um, it's just pure Bitcoin adoption. So earlier this year, the city of Lugano, Switzerland, announced that they were going to make Bitcoin legal tender in the city. It's not all of Switzerland, which, you know, people kind of got excited thinking the Swiss are going to Bitcoin. That is not what happened. But this one city, kind of like Bitcoin Beach and some of these little pockets that we're seeing, um, decided they were going to do this. It looks like it's rolled out or at least starting to roll out in that city. There's a foundation called Plan B. The B is with like the Bitcoin symbol. But it says they're claiming that they've onboarded multiple businesses in Lugano. Um, to accept Bitcoin payment. The Plan B Foundation expects to service over 2,500 customers by the end of the year. They partnered with this company called Go Crypto. So like Plan B is just the foundation, but Go Crypto is like the company that's providing the infrastructure that's enabling these, these payments. So this is a story to follow, but like it's rolling out. And the reason why I grabbed the headlines is because, you know, McDonald's is part of that rollout. So you can uh, buy McDonald's with Bitcoin in Lugano, Switzerland. And you can already do that in El Salvador as well, correct? Yeah, They're one of the businesses in El Salvador, American-owned businesses that are operating in El Salvador and accepting Bitcoin. Well, yeah, technically all the major businesses in El Salvador mm -hmm. have to accept it because yeah. it's legal tender. Yeah. So. Yeah, so this goes back to like, I think when we were talking about it ages ago in our El Salvador episode, these American companies like McDonald's are probably gonna accept Bitcoin sooner than later in other countries, including America. They like money. Exactly, and low transaction costs. If you actually look at how the world works, right? Like McDonald's has people that are providing them services and your ability to swipe your credit card McDonald's is paying someone for that ability. They don't, you know, McDonald's doesn't own the credit card machines when you swipe your card. That's a Visa or MasterCard or whatever transaction. And so when you buy McDonald's with your credit card, McDonald's is actually losing money. Some of that money goes to Visa or MasterCard. And so McDonald's in and of itself is incentivized to do this because they can cut that cost out of their business. And as a multi-billion dollar business, 2% is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. The other part is, like I said, they like money but they really like the best money, right? McDonald's and all these major corporations, when they have their savings account, they hold dollars. Mm. To, to McDonald's, holding your, I'm air quoting this here, right? Savings in dollars. You know, they don't hold currencies in other countries that are irrelevant. They might have some euros and some yen and, you know, whatever. But the majority of McDonald's money is in dollars because it's the best money. But I know that there's at least one bean counter in McDonald's that's like, yo, guys, Bitcoin's the better money. Yeah. Now, they're not going to go and take all their dollars and buy Bitcoin, but if they can start having transactions in Bitcoin, then the Bitcoin just comes into them naturally mm -hmm. and they can figure it out from there. And so I think that's what's happening, which is why you're not going to see pushback from McDonald's and Starbucks. Right. They agree. They're like, sure. Yeah, we'll join. They don't want to get robbed for 2% every mm -hmm. time you buy a hamburger. Nobody does. Interesting. So yeah, Switzerland kind of has their own Bitcoin beach. It's Lugano. There's no beach. I think there's a lake. So maybe there's there's some sand or something. I don't I don't know. But it's definitely on the list of places we have to go visit when we do this like Bitcoin world tour whenever it happens. Or whenever it happens. And we have to go visit in the order in which they like actually started adopting Bitcoin. It's a deal, babe.
You got any more sugar for me? <laughs> this next story is some anti-FUD for the ESG argument that Bitcoin is destroying the environment. What's ESG stand for? Environmental, social, and governance. Okay. So ESG is basically the cudgel that they're using to like attack the fossil fuel industry and attack um, companies that don't have diversity, you know, and stuff like that. It's, it's it covers a wide gamut of things, um, but it, it, when it comes to Bitcoin, it's the E, right? The environment, the energy that Bitcoin apparently wastes or uses too much of. So in Guatemala, there's Bitcoin Lake. What's been happening there is they've been trying to clean this lake up. Um, I guess it's really polluted, and I don't know how or why, but apparently there's like cooking oil that's running off into this lake. I guess it's in the streets. It doesn't really matter how it's getting there, it's there. And so they've been trying to clean this lake up. They've spent over $300 million trying to clean this lake up and it's not cleaning itself up. So what's happening is that some entrepreneurial people have figured out, well, what if we go collect all of this cooking oil that's being just kind of dumped wherever and burn it to generate energy to run Bitcoin miners? And they're successful? It's burning, it's producing electricity, they hook up some Bitcoin miners to it. They've produced Bitcoin from it. That's awesome. Again, this is the story that we got to follow and see how it plays out. But this goes back to the idea of Bitcoin is creating incentives all over the world that we can't even predict. I didn't know that there was a lake in Guatemala that had cooking oil being dumped into it. Am I surprised? A little bit. Am I really surprised? No, because there's pollution all over the world. Yeah, and I imagine that it's like the piping that are coming out of people's homes. Maybe they're dumping cooking oil. That, or there's like huge cooking factories right. that are and very the- evil and don't know how to dispose of their oil yeah and so this is my point when i say like bitcoin creates incentives all over the world and it doesn't require some like top down oh we're going to figure out what your problem is we're going to give you 300 million dollars to clean up this lake and then the lake's not cleaned up and they're like that doesn't matter we printed the money Mm -hmm. here's another 300 million try again from zero these guys figured out Give me your oil, let me burn it, and see if I can generate a reason to keep doing this. If it generates Bitcoin, that's a good reason to keep doing it. And the interesting part of this kind of story, right? Because this is happening with with other unique sources of renewable energy, right? Yeah, yeah I don't know if cooking oil is a renewable. I don't even know what to call it. Wa- uh, you know, but use it's, of it's, waste. It's waste energy. Waste energy, yeah. But there's energy in the oil. Exactly. That's being wasted. There's all of these unique workarounds, and we've talked about it a lot on the pod of oh, they found that this can be used to mine Bitcoin. I think the really easy part about that equation is if you can find waste energy, the obvious choice is to use it to mine Bitcoin. You don't have to come up with some other thing that you're trying to create or invention or processes or device that you're hooking up to it. It's like, oh, this makes energy. Let's mine Bitcoin and make some money. Exactly. It's all about incentives. Again, I don't understand this cooking oil situation. I'm not going to pretend like I do. You don't get the science. I don't like. I, I understand why you can burn oil mm-hmm. to generate energy. I don't understand why there's cooking oil lying around where it's just like it's free oil in the streets. Like that doesn't make sense to me. No judgment. Just doesn't make sense to me. But the point is, is that like the people in that location know that that's a problem. They know that it's a problem and they're also prioritizing Bitcoin adoption if they're trying to be Bitcoin late. They're all encompassing and so their solutions are driving towards feeding back into that ecosystem, which is 
you know, based on what you tell me is what Bitcoiners envision for the future. Yeah. This continuous cycle of not just necessarily a cycle, but the use of Bitcoin in all aspects of life wherever possible. Well, right? Like it's your currency, it's your savings, it's how you store energy, it's how you uh, save energy, it's how you produce energy. Well, yeah, because what's happened over probably most of human history, but definitely since 1971, is that people don't have access to resources, right? Like these large companies went into South and Central America and bought up all the land using American dollars and everyone wanted American dollars. And at the, at, at that moment, it seemed like a fair trade, right? But now all these corporations, they own all the beaches or the majority of the beaches that are nice. They own all the uh, oil. They own all of the whatever minerals and whatever they own it all. And so if you're a person that's in Guatemala, you don't have like a, a large plot of land that you can just work that produces revenue for you that you can live off of, you're forced to kind of go work in the economy that's powered by these dollars. And what Bitcoin has given the entire world, and, and people are slowly waking up to it, and Bitcoin Lake is just one of many examples that we're going to talk about on this podcast over the rest of however long we do this podcast. If you are an entrepreneur, if you are a creative person, if you are a person that's genuinely trying to solve a problem, Bitcoin can be the thing that pays you to do it. You don't have to go get a loan. You don't have to, you know what I'm saying? Like it is the thing that will pay you. It's almost as if I say this very superficially, but it's almost as if Bitcoin is this like singular artificial intelligence. That's like, guys, there's a bunch of problems and I will pay you to fix them. Yeah. I will pay you to fix all the problems. And I will pay you more if you fix it better than someone else. I just can't tell you what the problems are. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough yet to know what the problems are, but I will pay you to fix these problems. And we're seeing it all over the place. And Bitcoin Lake is just the story that we're talking about this week. I can't wait to see where this goes. Best of luck to Bitcoin Lake. Can't wait to go visit. All right, you're still smiling. So do you have any more good news for me? If we were doing the good, the bad, the ugly, this is like in the bad category. Oh, okay. It's good for Bitcoin. Ah, bad for everyone else. If you're a Bitcoiner, this is good news, but it kind of is the result of bad news for other people. So Bitcoiners right now about whatever you're about to tell me are going like, hey, hey, I told you so. I hope not. <laughs> um, you hope they're better than that. But there's always a Melvin in the group. It's so. like, hey, hey. Yeah. Your dad doesn't love you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, whose dad doesn't love them in this story? Last week was the first time we did this weekly roundup. We recorded it. We were sitting on the couch and literally some more information about a story that we, we had just recorded came out. On Monday last week was when, when the Bank of England interjected to bail out some pension funds in England. That was the whole BlackRock, bailing out BlackRock and all that fun stuff. Apparently on that same day, we saw in data we saw the highest level of people purchasing Bitcoin using the pound. Norm Ever in the history of Bitcoin? I believe it was in the history of Bitcoin. Dang. And if it's not, correct me. <laughs> but Come the, for him, people. On a normal, you know, normally we see about $90 million, American dollars worth, but pounds, you know, but $90 million worth a day. And on that day, we saw $900 million worth. Wow. So it was like a 10x increase. Now, this was last week. 
We don't know if that trend is going to continue. But what we were talking about last week was if you're a person that's paying attention to what's going on in the UK, like you're in the UK, you're a conscious citizen and you're like, yo, okay, it's getting crazy. Like I gotta, I gotta like figure out like a plan B of some sort, you know? And I said, if you go Google for how do you, how do you fight against inflation? You only got two options. You got Bitcoin and you got gold. Well, it looks like people did some Googling, realized it's not easy to buy gold. And we see a large purchase of Bitcoin on a single day. There's a lot of inference you can take from that, but it looks like the sensible, rational people in the UK figured it out. Yeah, or people throughout the world that own the British pound. There is also that, yeah. right? So we don't know the details, and I'm more willing to suspect it's probably 50-50 of mm-hmm. that. Like you got, you're in another country and you have pounds, dump them. Well, what do I get? Well, you either get the dollar but or they Bitcoin. Chose, but they chose Bitcoin instead of the dollar. Exactly. So boom. And so... <laughs> Mic drop. And so like this goes back to the fundamental point of this podcast, which is Bitcoin is the best money. There are other monies you can get, but it is the best. And so with all the economic turmoil that's going on in the world right now, when people are looking to survive, not just for the next six months or a year, but like the next decade, you know, long term thinking. Yeah, you might, you know, countries pretty much are going to live like us. You're going to keep a little bit in cash. You're going to keep a little bit of dollars because you got to buy your oil and you got to trade on the world market. But let's move the rest of this into something that's a little bit more stable than the Americans waking up and deciding to do what the British just did. And that's what the market's worried about. The market is worried that the Americans are going to print 10 times as much as the Brits just printed because we can print infinity Mm-hmm. So we don't know what it's going to be, but looks like people are hedging their bets and getting rid of the pound and they prefer Bitcoin over the pound. Makes sense to me. All right, guys, Ian is frowning now. Is this bad news? This is the ugly. This is the ugly. All right. So a little bit of backstory or a quick backstory. One of the first news articles that I ever read where I started to suspect that there was something about Bitcoin that was being suppressed was the um, the Silk Road story. And we've talked about it. You and I have talked about it. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but long story short, this guy created a website that was basically Amazon for drugs, cocaine, guns, whatever. Um, and I think it ends with him like possibly hiring a hitman or something. It doesn't matter. He did bad things. He's admitted to doing these bad things and he's in jail. And what were they using Bitcoin as currency on that site? Exactly. Right. And okay. so like there's this guy who created this website selling all this stuff that was bad, which is subjective. But in order for all of that economic activity to happen, you had to use Bitcoin. So that's one of the stories that kind of started the narrative of like, oh, Bitcoin is used for criminal activity because that was probably the first story anybody heard about someone buying anything of real value with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. What's more valuable than cocaine? <laughs> and it's weight, not much. But the point there being is like that guy is still in jail, right? He's been in jail for I feel like a decade. He's probably going to be in jail for more decades, but it doesn't feel like his the punishment is fitting the crime. Do Kwan just robbed $60 billion worth of money from people. There's a there's a warrant out for his arrest. That's the Celsius guy? No, Do Kwan is the Terra Luna guy. Ah, uh, yes, right? yes. When he gets caught, because he will, mm-hmm. and when he goes to jail, which he will, he will be in jail for less time than Russ Albrecht is. I can't wait for that Netflix special. They're probably already... It's already made, yeah, probably, I'm right? Yeah, sure. That'd um, be great. 
But everyone knows that like this financial crime this guy's perpetrated is going to be punished less than this other guy's crime. We all know that. Why do you think that? Wealthy people commit financial crimes. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to ever establish a precedent of someone committing a crime like Do Kwan and then getting 100 years in jail. Whereas this other person, they committed a crime of what, technology? We should do a whole episode on the Silk Road like story because it's very fascinating mm -hmm. and it has a large amount of Bitcoin in it. Not the, well, the dollar amount of Bitcoin, but also just Bitcoin runs through that whole story. I truly believe that Russ Albrecht's crime was that they were using Bitcoin and they were using Bitcoin in a way that showed, no, you can run an entire economy using Bitcoin. Mm. They were running like it was literally Amazon. Yeah. And, you know, go talk to anybody who bought drugs online when Silk Road was up. They probably bought them off of Silk Road. And, you know, I want to relate this to the porn industry because the porn industry is where the advancements in television technology have been made. It's like the first uh, like videos, right? Mm -hmm. were, were in porn and then like they led the streaming of videos on the internet. Like They decided Blu-ray. Yeah. It's they like, decided VHS over beta. Right. Yeah. Like, so it's kind of the same thing where like, I don't know, a bad industry, if we want to say drugs are bad, <laughs> I'm for the legalization and decriminalization of all drugs personally. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of guns, but they're legal. So it doesn't really seem to me like that website was doing anything too bad. It's just that they were doing something that was like a black market good, so to speak. And they were able to circumvent like the legal or, or traditional ways to do commerce. They were able to circumvent the fact that it was illegal to buy certain things. That was all. Yeah. Like we made it very hard for people to buy marijuana. You made it really easy. You're a bad person. Mm -hmm. It's like, but the people wanted the marijuana. Like, <laughs> so Russ Albrecht's been in jail for a while and it doesn't look like he's getting out anytime soon. But there are things that you can point to to say like that was whether we agree with it or not, that was illegal. We have laws. You broke the laws. Going back to the story that we talked about a couple weeks ago about the tornado cash guy. He got arrested for facilitating money laundering. Air quotes here. I have been following it closely. But I do not know from the point A to point B money laundering activity. So far, all we know is that he developed code, made it open source code, and that code facilitated some type of transaction that the Dutch government is upset about. Sure. So the story that we're talking about, he, he filed an appeal and they said no. So he's going to stay in jail. And we still technically don't know what crime he committed. Like at the end of the day, it's like if you're saying he facilitated money laundering, where did he get the money from? Where did he move it to and who received the money? So either this is completely baseless or there's just information that hasn't been released or even his or even his legal representation isn't sharing that. And maybe they're trying to spin this narrative of like, oh, he did nothing. We just don't know. The reason why I say this is ugly, while you may agree or disagree with Silk Road and the products that were being sold on there. Objectively, the transaction of those things and the facilitating of those transaction of things was illegal. Now, they've accused this guy of money facilitating money laundering, but like with Silk Road, in theory, there was a database <laughs> that you could say like, no, you facilitated this particular transaction from point A to point B. Otherwise, he's not facilitating any crimes. If you don't have that, all you have is a website with a bunch of stuff for sale. 
mm-hmm. right? With really, it's just pictures. It's you have to actually facilitate. I guess you get attempted to facilitate, but but when it comes to this tornado cash guy, like I have not yet seen that same thing that you can like point to and say this is the thing that you laundered. This is the event where you were laundering money, and it, he's still in jail, and they're not letting him out, and that just seems like wrongful imprisonment. So you're thinking that. This is a threat to other software developers that are in the Bitcoin space or crypto space? This is a threat to software developers full stop. This is a threat to the ability for an individual person to be able to make a piece of software and then give it to the world freely and not be held accountable for how it's used, right? Because let's just say they kick in our door tomorrow and say the Satoshi calculator is facilitating money laundering. And I'm in jail for, it says here, he's been in jail for seven weeks. And we're like, show me the transaction that I facilitated money laundering. They haven't done that. Yeah. And it it might seem like not a big deal that this has happened to this guy. Or, you know, I'm sure it's a big deal to him, but it might. And it's the Dutch government. So, so yeah, I don't know Dutch. the American government. I don't know anything about their freedom of speech laws. If you think this ties to freedom of speech. Um, well, in America, this would definitely tie to freedom of speech and this would definitely tie to, um, code is speech. And so to arrest someone for creating code is arresting someone for speech. And I think that would go maybe not straight to the Supreme Court, but that would be a pretty easy path to, to getting a resolution on that. I think we already have some resolutions on that in America already, but you don't see the American judicial system screaming, that's wrong. (laughs) Right. These are our friends. These are allegedly our allies. We're protecting them from Russia. Right. Like these are people that we are interacting with and they've arrested a software developer developer. They're just holding them in jail. This is like Julian Assange, but kind of worse. Really? That's the level that you see this at. I see this as possibly getting to that point. Mm. No one thought Julian Assange would be Julian Assange. Yeah. Right. It, It always starts with like, oh, it's a week. It's two weeks. It's seven weeks. It's a month. Now he's got a baby mama in an embassy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we did not think that Julian Assange was going to end up Julian Assange. I'm not saying this particular person is going to end up like that, but this is how those things start. Where it's like, there's no real resolution, but they got him. He's in jail. Julian Assange snuck into an embassy and, you know, they just got Julian Assange, which is not funny. I shouldn't be laughing, but like he hid for years. This guy got caught on day two Yeah, and it sucks and it really sucks. So maybe he's innocent. Maybe he's not. I don't know if he's innocent. All I know is that this smells really bad and I don't hear anything coming out in defense of him from the normal places that injustice would be fought. And to me, that sounds like either A, they don't understand what's going on or B, they're basically being told like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can talk about whether or not kids say the Pledge of Allegiance in school, but you better shut up about this one. And for people to pretend like they're not told to shut up about certain things is just naive. And I feel like this guy is involved in something that's a little bit above everyone's like, oh, human rights pay grade. Keep monitoring this one for us, babe. Oh, I will. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Did you know the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast runs on the value for value business model? So what does that mean? Instead of having to listen to us read the same batch of ads every episode, we're looking to you, our listeners and supporters, to support the show if and when we provide you with something of value. Value can be anything. 
some new piece of information, a new point of view, or even a good old-fashioned belly laugh. When we provide value, we ask that you contribute to the show what you believe the value is worth to you. Hence the term, value for value. To learn more about how to support the pod, visit flirtingwithbitcoin.com support. And don't forget to subscribe so we can always keep in touch. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next episode. Thank you.